Hebrews chapter 10. This morning's message is entitled, The Inspired Hebrew Writer. The Inspired Hebrew Writer. Some people think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, I would tend to think that myself, and others don't. Um, But either way, if I do say Paul at times, forgive me, Uh, as in uh, relation to the book of Hebrews, but we will mention him at other times. Hebrews chapter 10, please. And we're going to read a couple of verses and keep your Bible open because we'll be referring to quite a bit of scripture this morning. I want to do more, I want to teach you something this morning, but we'll see how the Spirit leads us. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to read verse 19 and verse 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you he lives in us, who are saved. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the word made flesh, your only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, who bled and died for us. And now we pray, Father, that you would inscribe your word upon every heart, imprint your word upon every mind, and may we follow on to know the Savior. And if there is one here who is not saved this morning and find themselves under the sound of thy word, we ask you, God, that you would draw them to Christ. For the glory of thy name, for Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. The reason the book of Hebrews was written was because there were those who had come out of Judaism, out from the temple worship, and what they had done was, through persecution of the Jews against them, Um, through trials that they were facing because of them. Some of them were starting to look again toward the temple to try and rectify, should we go back to Judaism? Or should we continue to follow the Christ? Judaism and true biblical Christianity are opposite one to the other, completely opposite. One is Antichrist spirit, and the other one is born of the Holy Spirit. And these people had been drawn from the temple worship, and they had been drawn from Judaism, and they had placed their faith in Christ. And now at the danger of them going back to a false sense of security and to false worship and religion, The Hebrew writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, writes the book of Hebrews. And when you read through the book of Hebrews, the theme of the whole book is this. Jesus is greater. The whole way through. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Joshua. Jesus is greater than Aaron, the high priest. 
Jesus is greater than the temple, for he even said it in his gospel that he's greater than the temple. That Jesus is greater than the sacrifices in the temple. And Jesus is greater than the priesthood of the temple. And hence the Hebrew writer is drawing them back to say, look, you're leaving a treasure for a trifle. Basically, that's what he's saying. You're leaving a treasure for a trifle. Maybe someone here has been either thinking about this or maybe they've already put it into action of going into the world and leaving Christ for the world. And again, you're leaving a treasure for a trifle. When an Israelite or a Hebrew or here now, someone out of Judaism, a Jew, would have heard of these words of the book of Hebrews, they would have understood exactly what the writer was saying. There are two things I want to briefly look at. First of all, if someone was from Jewry, J-E-W-R-Y, and they had professed salvation in Christ, and whether it be Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews or no, it doesn't matter because the words would resonate right into their heart. They would have knew exactly what the writer was talking about. And for you and I living in this day and age, we find it hard. People would read the book of Hebrews and haven't a clue. And they're saved for years. They have no idea what it means. They have no idea what it's about. And they can even cherry pick. I'm not trying to be uh, ignorant when I say that. But they would even cherry pick a verse here and a wee verse there. They don't know the theme of the book. The reason of the book was written. And they don't even know what the book entails and what it is inside it. We're going to look a little bit at it this morning, God willing. Seeing how we get on, maybe a part two. I don't know whether we'll need it or not. But everyone who was a believer or a professor of Christ, and now they were from Judaism or they had come called out of it, like the Apostle Paul himself. And once they hear this, it would resonate in their mind right back to the temple. And what was happening in the temple. Especially for example in around the sacrifice. And the day of atonement. Will you turn with me please to the book of Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Something I would like you to. We're going to have to skip over some of these. And write it down. Mark it down. Read it when you go home. Leviticus 16, verse 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat which is upon, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on holy, uh, on holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and he shall be girded with a linen girdle and with linen mitre 
shall he be attired. These are the holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the, of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of, of the sin offering, which is for himself. Take note, mark that, underline it. This is mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Aaron, the high priest, must atone for his own sin first. And then it says in verse 7, He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other lot for the scapegoat. We always hear, oh, they're making a scapegoat out of him or her or me. This is where the word comes from. Verse 9, And Aaron shall bring the goat which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering But the goat on which the lot failed to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So read the rest of the chapter when you get a time. Here Aaron has to bring the bullock and the blood is for his sin because he's a sinner. He's to wear the right garments of linen to come before the Lord. He's to take two goats for the sins of God's people, for Israel. And one is slain and the blood is taken in to the holy place. The other one is presented before the tabernacle of the Lord. And then it's taken out, hands are laid on it, and it's taken out of the city and away into a hill and released. It's escaped. It's escaped goat. The sins of the people are taken away. And the other one of the goat which has died has atoned for the sin. And hence the Hebrew writer speaks about these things. And so someone who had come from temple worship would completely understand exactly what the writer is saying. Another thing, if you go with me please to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Just for time's sake, let your eye run down to verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, that is the month of Tishri in the Hebrew calendar. Tishri. On the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Notice here, the Lord is saying, there's going to be a day of atonement when the high priest will come in, but once a year, and only the high priest. Notice, only the high priest. You had a veil, and then you had another veil. This was holy place, this was the Behind the inner veil was the holy of holies or the most holy place. I want you to take note of this because this pattern of the tabernacle or the tent in the wilderness is built in Jerusalem, in the temple in Jerusalem. And so when the high priest in the temple, he takes the offering of blood, he wears his garments as usual, and he goes into the inner place through two veils, the first veil, then into the second veil, 
and only the high priest once a year. No one else and at no other time, as it said in Leviticus 16. He can only go in once a year. And he's made atonement for his own sin. Then he goes in and he sprinkles the blood upon all the furniture, the Ark of the Covenant and so on. And he sprinkles it for the sin of the people. And the lid of the covenant is called the mercy seat or the propitiation. God's wrath is averted where there's mercy. When you find mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's wrath was averted from you, brother, sister. You find mercy because we're told Christ is our propitiation for sin. He is our mercy. And so the high priest will go in. Here is the Ark of the Covenant. Here is the lid with the golden cherubims touching wing to wing. And hence they sprinkle the blood upon the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, known as the mercy seat. The glory of God comes down upon that mercy seat, that lid of the Ark. And the only thing to prevent the high priest who was Aaron, then the lineage of his sons, from being slain in the presence of the Lord because of his glory and his power was the blood on the mercy seat. Was the blood on the mercy seat. Now when we're in the new covenant, the only thing that will prevent a man and woman being slain, that is, with an eternal damnation, will be the blood on the mercy seat of Calvary. The blood of Christ is the only thing that will prevent you and I from being consumed. The mercy seat was his Calvary's tree. Now take note of this. The high priest was to dress right. The high priest was to have a linen garment on. And the high priest having the linen garment represents the righteousness of Christ. So whenever you and I as sinners come to the cross in repentance of our sin, Christ bore our sin away. He is the scapegoat who died and he is the goat who was released in the sense he takes our sin away from us. From as far as the east is, from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And so he takes our sin, the great transaction at Calvary, at the time of our salvation, he takes our sin and he gives us the garments of a priest, his righteousness. And hence we're called kings and priests. We're made kings and priests on the God, the scriptures say, because we are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ and you're not saved, you have no garments that are right to enter God's heaven, God's presence, or God's kingdom. Only by the blood could they enter God's presence. Only by being sanctified by the blood and dressed right in the righteousness of the white garments could they enter into God's presence. And only once a year to represent the people. Secondly, those who would hear the language of this book, the book of Hebrews, would, take the, would, would make the hearer think 
he was never able to enter God's presence himself. Think about this now. Only the high priest once a year. No other people, just the high priest, no other time but once a year. And when they hear hear that Christ has paid our debt in its fullness once and for all, then they realize, I can enter into the presence of God. I couldn't in this religion, but I can when I'm born of the Spirit and washed in the blood. And it's the same for you and I, brothers and sisters. We and I could never, ever attain heaven. You cannot get to heaven on your own merit. The only way you can get there is in the righteousness of Christ and the blood of Christ. And the only way you can get there is through Christ. Notice the word here used in the, the, the New Testament for uh, the temple. T-E-M-P-L-E. There are two main words. Put it like that. There are two main words. One word is hereon. Hereon. And the other word is neos. Neos. For example, the hereon means the stonework, the, the woodwork, the bronze, the brass, the gold, everything ornate that makes the actual building. So the whole of the temple precincts, all of it was called the hereon. It's where they entered the hereon. But the high priest alone going through that veil and through that curtain, once he went through that second veil into the Holy of Holies, it was called the Naos. Still called temple in our English. Naos was the word that they used. And the Naos was the place where God's immediate presence would come and dwell. remember the Lord Jesus said the disciples said to him master look at this great temple and all the stones in it he says destroy this temple and I will will raise it up in three days remember that and then whenever they had arrested him and they had accused him they said this one said he'll destroy the temple well you see the thing is they thought because Jesus said destroy this naos not the hero in the whole big outer court He didn't use the word hereon for the bricks, the stone, and the mortar. He used it for the inner holy of holies. Destroy this holy of holies. And I will raise it up in the third day. But then it tells us this spake he of his body. So you know that he was saying there, I am the naos. I am the fullness of God. Inside this flesh was eternity. Inside him was Almighty God. That's what Christ was saying. He said, you want to meet God, you meet him here in me. Not in the temple, not through the priests, not through the ritual, not through the religion. Not with blood of bulls and goats and animals and turtle doves and pigeons and all the offerings and the washings and the cleansings. He says, no, I am the naos of God. 
Me, he says, that's me. Destroy this temple, this naos, and I will raise it up on the third day. That's what Christ was saying, and they took it for the naos and the inner court, or the inner sanctuary, pardon me, of the Holy of Holies. Can you turn with me, please, to Numbers chapter 17. Number 17. While you're looking it up, I'll get a drink. So the high priest of Israel had to be from the tribe of Levi. And then the successors had to be from the house of Aaron. Number 17, please. Just let your eye run down to verse 6. 17 verse 6. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a, a rod apiece for each prince one, according to their father's houses, even twelve rods, and the rod of iron was among their rods. And Moses led up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of the witness, tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of iron for the house of Levi was budded and it brought forth buds and bloom blooms and yielded almonds and Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto the children of Israel and they looked and took every man his rod so there was a rebellion why Aaron why Levi we want to be part of this why can he only enter in and him alone why this house So Moses gets all the houses of their fathers to lay a a dry stick of a rod, 12 of them, one for every tribe. And in the morning when they came, Aaron's rod from the tribe of Levi had budded and bloomed and blossomed. In other words, out of death rose life. Speaks of resurrection. Out of death rose life. And hence he lifted it and says, here is the Lord saying, Aaron from the tribe of Levi is the high priest. And brothers and sisters, that shows election of God too. That shows God's sovereign will and election. He elected Aaron. He elected the tribe of Levi. But he elected Aaron's house to be high priest. And the thing about this is, is not only is it God's election, but It's God's provision. He was providing someone to go in before him that the people die not. Notice here, if you will, for an Israelite or a Hebrew, here in the New Testament, one of the Jews, to hear this would certainly catch their attention. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please? It would certainly catch their attention. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. They would understand. In other words, the Hebrew writer was coming to where they were to help them understand the glories of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19, please. Paul is writing. Pardon me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I said Hebrews there, didn't I? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 19. 
For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I may gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I may gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them that are without law. To the weak became I weak, that I may gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Notice, Paul is saying, I understand what the Jews are thinking. So I became like them in the sense that he came to tell them what they already knew. And then show them the glories of Christ. To the weak he done the same and he met people where they were. Paul was not compromising his doctrine. And that's what's wrong with the church today in 2022. The church now are compromising doctrinal teaching. Because men and women don't want it. And what they're doing is they're taking out doctrinal teaching and they're replacing it with things like how to live your best life now. Ten ways to have a good day. Inspirational, motivational speakers rather than doctrinal teaching of the word of God. Because if there's doctrinal teaching of the word of God, it's that which carries you through. When we go home, when you go home, you'll go home and you close your door, it's you and whatever you're facing. And it's the doctrinal teaching of the word of God, knowing who you are in God, knowing who you are in Christ, and the doctrinal teaching of the word of God, when you're shut in and everyone else seems shut out, or when you're the only one in the whole wide world that's awake in the middle of the night, seemingly. That's what it seems like. And everyone else is asleep, and the world, your world, is going into a tailspin. It's the doctrinal teaching of God's word in your heart. That's what strengthens you. That's what will carry you through. We need the churches to get back to the blood and the book. Not saying all churches, but those who are not. And they would rather sing and sing and sing for 50 minutes and give you a 10 minute thought at the end of it. People wonder why they're hungry Why there's still a need. They wonder why. Because they're not eating. They're not reading. They're not taking in the word of God. They're not studying. Don't get me wrong. I love worship. I love to sing and praise and play and whatever. I love it. And it's God's place. But it should never have precedence over the word of God. Paul was not compromising his doctrine here. And Paul was not accommodating the world either. 
let's bring them in and be like a bit more like the world, a bit more liberal, a bit more liberal, and the people will pack the place out. We could be liberal and we'll have to extend the tent in every direction. But what are you giving when you come to somewhere like that? What, what, are, you, what are you? Where are you with God? Where are you with Christ? Where are they? Do they know him? Because you're feeding their flesh, then you're going to have to keep feeding their flesh because when you stop feeding their flesh, guess what? They go somewhere else to get fed in the flesh. Remember all those who Christ fed with the bread and, and the fish and they followed him and then in John 6, he calls himself the, the bread of life. Remember John 6, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he says this is in the spirit, by the way. These the words I speak on thee, they are spirit and they are life. It's not literal. Now remembrance what we did this morning. The bread remains bread and the wine or the juice remains wine. But you remember all the people when he said this, they all started leaving him. He had fed their flesh. They didn't want the feeding of the spirit. They started leaving him. You know why? Because doctrinal matters were starting to hit home. As God started, Christ started to bring them deeper. He was testing them when the rubber hits the road. Where are you with me? You know what I found? And many others have found as I've talked to pastors and other Christians. See, this last two years and all that's happened this last two years. There are those who were standing and shouting loud. There are those who are, oh Jesus, this, that and the other. And they wanted to to worship all night and get a a ten minute word. and, And they wanted to do all sorts of mad crazy things and Oh, we'll stand for God and we'll do this, we'll do that, and we'll do the other. And when it came to it, when it came to it, they shut their churches and didn't open again. And when it came to it, many of them have backslidden. Because what is in them? Paul was saying, I meet people where they are. Remember when I pastored in Dublin? Oh, it's 16 years ago now, maybe. Yeah, about 16 years ago. I left, actually. 15, 16 years ago. And I walked out of the... It was just a long hall in the center of Dublin. And the door was away down the corner here. And I came out from another little back room. And as I walked out, there was a man standing outside the door, just in like this. And at the back of the wall where the pulpit was, it just said, he has risen here. And when he seen me, he turned and he ran. So I ran after him. And he ran out and up St. Stephen's Green. And I ran after him. And I caught him. I was fitter then. I was younger too. And I caught him. I says, are you all right? He went, ah, don't touch me, don't touch me. I says, well, I seen you looking, are you Okay. Why did you run? He said, I was just looking. I said, that's okay. Are you okay? I'm a Jew. Just look like me, as it were. Just look like you. But he said, I'm a Jew. I said, aunt. He says, you have, he is risen. 
this is what I said to him. Have you ever read Isaiah the prophet? Yes. Isaiah 53, for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. And I start talking to him about Isaiah. And he backed off. He says, that's not in our scrolls. I says, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You just don't want to know it's in your scrolls. That's what's wrong. And his words were, I don't care about the Christ. I hate the Apostle Paul. You know why? Because Paul was telling them of the fallacy of temple worship. And many were appointed to Christ in Judea. So, Paul was not compromising his doctrine. Paul was not accommodating the world. And Paul was speaking the truth of Christ. In the same sense, the Hebrew writer would understand and recognize Hebrews chapter 10. Look at it with me, please. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Notice how the inspired Hebrew writer takes our minds, our thoughts, our eyes away from the earthly tabernacle to the heavenly. The earthly tabernacle or the temple to the heavenly. From the material to the spiritual. From the temporal right into the eternal. Takes them from, he says, listen. And these, these people thinking of going back to Judaism. He said, now listen. Look at this temple, for example. He talks about it. He says, now look up. There's the temple. And Christ, the great high priest, he's after, he's not of Levi, he's of Judah, but he's after the order of Melchizedek who met Abraham and paid tithes in Abraham. He says all of this is going to be done away with. Completely and totally, once and for all, and the temple was destroyed in AD 70, just as Jesus said. By Titus, the Roman prince. One stone, he says, shall not be left upon another. Is that what he said? And he took the temple down. One stone from another. So notice he takes our eyes away. He takes it to the reality of Christ and the glory of Christ. And this is what he's shown us. That the glories of Christ. The salvation in Christ. The blood of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ and all to do with Christ. In the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a far more weight of glory. There is a far more weight in the writer's heart. If it's Paul, Paul's saying, or whoever wrote this, this is what he's saying. The temple's literal, the heron, the stone, the brick, the mortar, the wood, the gold, the silver. You can see it sitting on the hillside. On the top of the hill, you can see it in the sun, glistening in the sunshine. Big golden gates and whitewashed walls, and there the city set in the hill, sort of. And he's saying, You can see it all, it looks tremendous. But in my heart, the weight that's in my heart is not that temple, but as Christ. That's what he's saying. It's Christ, he says, 
not a brick and stone and mortar temple. Can I ask you something? Why are Christians always looking forward to another temple being built? Christ said it's done. It's over. He was the lamb to finish all lamb's sacrifice. Why would you want to build for a so-called antichrist to sit on it? You helping him out? Think about it. And even now, I know somewhere maybe going, hey, hold on a wee minute. Hold on. You know why? Because they look to the temple instead of to the Christ. But take note of this. This writer, this inspired Hebrew writer, his heart, his mind, he could see the temple. But his heart and mind was fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He couldn't see him. If it's Paul, he's seen his glory in Acts chapter 9, we know that. But he couldn't visibly, physically see Christ as he's writing this. And yet he was more real. He was more alive. He was more real to him. More alive to him than a temple sitting on a hill. Look, even in churches today, it's all about the pomp and ceremony, what we can see. It's about the big ornate altars at the end of the church and People are fixated on it. It's about the statues and all the different idols. Fixated on it. Trusting in it. I remember one time, oh, 97, I think it was. Yeah. And my mum took it on an operable brain tumor and eventually passed away with it. She was 53 years of age. My dad nor my mum at this point were saved. And my dad takes my mum down to St. Don's Cathedral in Belfast. Heard there's a man down there praying for the sick. So he went down with her. This man prayed. Nothing happened. And later my dad says to me, he says, son, when I look at St. Don's Cathedral, when I look at it all and the size of it, I'm sort of thinking, surely God would be in there. You know, it's not just a Catholic mindset, it's a Protestant mindset. Surely God would be in there, he said. I says, Dad, the scriptures tell us that God does not dwell in temples that are made with hands. He says, the Bible tells us that. What did you expect? He says, well, maybe you expected God to come there. He says, well, he may or may not, but he doesn't dwell there. God has a temple. Paul says, know you not that ye are the, what's the word? Shut it out. You know the word Paul uses? Ye are the naos. The place where God lives and abides. 
Ye are the place where the Holy Ghost lives. As my pastor used to say, sometimes God lives in poor lodgings. The Lord Jesus said in John 20 and verse 29. It says, Jesus saith unto him, to Thomas, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. Have not seen. I haven't seen him, but I believe him. Don't just believe in him, I believe him. He's more real to me because when you go home, and if you were to leave me standing here, you'll still be with me here. I remember one time I was, I was out and my children were younger. And there was my wee daughter sitting down there, Ellie. She says to me, Dad, are you out in the dark on your own? Are you out in the dark on your own? And I said, no, love. Who was with you? He says, the Lord was with me. The Lord was with me. Brother, sister, do you not know that the Lord is with you? Not only with you, he's in you. He lives in you. I better wrap this up and do another week. I mean, just round this up and finish it. Remember Elijah, 1 Kings 17 and 1. Elijah is a prophet to the northern kingdom, the house of Israel. And in Samaria was their capital city. And that's where the ten tribes of Israel were. And the southern kingdom was in Jerusalem. And that was Judah, Benjamin, some of Levi. And the Lord sends Elijah to King Ahab, who's Ahab and Jezebel. His wife is Jezebel. And he's before King Ahab. And this is what the prophet says. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, listen, before whom I stand. Now he's standing before Ahab in the flesh. He's standing before Ahab in his view and his vision. But Elijah the prophet was more conscious of his God than he was of the man standing before him. Church, that's where we need to get back to again. From where the, the, the first Christians were, where they were going to the to the Colosseums to be martyred. They were more aware of God who had saved them than the soldiers who were about to slay them. The reformers were more aware of Christ who bought them than they were of the Romanists who were about to burn them. Today the church is hiding under their duvet. Don't rock the boat. Go with the flow. Don't stop out and stand up and don't say anything in case you get into trouble. I'll tell you better than that. Let's just do online and keep everybody happy. To hell with a whole lot of it. And I mean that in the right sense. It's 
time we got the reality of Christ back in the church in our hearts. That Christ is more alive in me. Christ is more, has a more weight, a weight of reality and glory in me than what the government has. Isn't that right? So I finish with this. The inspired Hebrew writer takes the hearts and minds of the blood sacrifice in the temple to the blood sacrifice of Christ. The blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of himself is greater. Jesus is greater through Hebrews. The blood sacrifice of Christ of himself is greater than all the blood sacrifice and of the unbloody sacrifice of a mass. The blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of himself will take you to glory. Will forgive you of your sin. Will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. John 1 said, if Christ had not died, sin had never died in any sinner right on to eternity. If Christ had not died, sin had never died in any sinner right on to eternity. In other words, if Christ hadn't have died and it was still the, the sacrifice of the temple or the religion and every one of us would still be in our sin. Right into a lost eternity. Thank God he died for us. God willing, next week, we'll see how we get on. I'll take you further into the sacrifices. To the new and living way. Brothers and sisters, what would you give or pardon me, what would you offer? You offer nothing to your salvation, isn't that right? So if you weren't saved, or if you're not saved this morning, what do you think you can offer God? You can offer him nothing. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from here. It doesn't matter what religion you came up with. You can offer nothing. What church saves? None. Which church saves? The Roman Catholic Church? No. The Methodists, the Presbyterian, the Free Presbyterian, the Baptists, the CET, none. None saves. Christ saves. And Christ alone saves. May God bless you. Tell me to come up, please.